This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, everybody, it is the moment you've either dreamt of or dreaded. The folks at Chiesa d'Italia have their own podcast. Um, this is Brendan, uh, a.k.a. Brendan, coming to you with the very first episode of what we're going to call Across the Romaverse. Because um, much like our website, uh, we're going to cover the whole expanse of the Roma experience. So that'll be men, women, primavera, transfers, sales, injuries, more injuries, and probably even more injuries. Um, so we're just going to cover the whole gamut, just like we do on the site. Uh, we're very excited to do this. It's been um, at least a month, if not more, in the works. We had some um, administrative mishaps, things like that, sort of got lost in the way. Uh, but I'm very happy to be here for the first episode. I'm joined by two of our regulars. Um, so I hope the more we do this, um, obviously we'll get better at it. And hopefully I'll stop saying um quite as much. <laughs> Yeah, I'm joined today by Stephen and Sean. Um, Jimmy could not be with us for this first one, and I'm just hoping as we go along, maybe we can have some of the um, the old timers from back in the day come and join us as well. Uh, so let's just start off with some brief introductions. As I said, this is Bren. Um, I've been with the site since 2012, uh, which is hard to believe. I've been running it since 2014. Um, so let's start with Stephen. So Stephen, so first from my own sort of uh, vainglory. Can you tell me, how did you first come across our site before you were writing? How did you stumble across CDT? Um, I was doing a little writing on my own, just about, uh, not Roma specific, but just I was doing some baseball, a little, little Italian Serie A and things like that. And then I was looking for a Roma ala, being a Roma fan, and I kind of stumbled across Chiesa di Tolti, And then I saw you guys were actually looking for writers at the time, and it just happened to, to work out. When was it? How long have you been with us? I think it's about three years now, because I remember my first piece was related to uh, Nyan Galan, so it has to be more than two seasons ago. So I think three seasons ago now. Wow. Uh, that's a bit similar to mine. I, I found the previous version of our site probably in, oh gosh, 2007 or 2008. I was Googling um, Lukas Podolski transfer rumors. <laughs> 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 he was the big striker they couldn't get back then. It was like every summer they couldn't get somebody or they passed on people. You know, there's always the legends of players like Gareth Bale and things like that. They just sort of slipped through their fingers. But yeah, Lukas Podolski and Boston Schweinsteiger, two of my favorite players back then, I just kept hoping they would come to Roma. Um, <laughs> Sean, how about the same question? So again, just to puff up my own ego, how did you find us? Uh, for the life of me, I can't remember. I, I only remember that it was in... 2013 oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, I really can't remember what it was that I put into Google where I first found Kiesa Itati I, I just remember that 
Um, it was really Garcia's first season. Uh, I had no idea what a sporting director was. I didn't know who Walter Sabatini was. <laughs> and um, I was just happy to have Italian football back on my TV because it, it had been gone away for a couple of years in my country. Um, I think the I just had the impulse to to talk with people online about Roma at that point. Um, I'd, I'd been a member for about four years, four or five years before I became a writer. So it, it took a while. Okay. Yeah, I would think that really none of us knew who Walter Sabatini is. He's sort of an enigma. Um, yeah, let's see here. So let's just jump uh, a little bit backwards. So I was looking over um, the site traffic last week and just um, the sheer amount of articles we published. So a week ago today, we were just publishing our last uh, Roma-centric preview. So we made a bunch of uh, predictions about leading score, um, Fonseca's performance, things like that. Um, so let's just touch upon that again. So, Stephen, can you tell us maybe uh, just one or two things you're most excited about this year and maybe one or two things you're worried about? Um, so I think the biggest worry is, you know, all the pressure on Fonseca already because it's been one match and people are already trying to run him out the door. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this later with the Allegri rumors floating around. But I was actually excited to have him back for a second season. Um, most of the same team. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't happen often. And, you know, with most of the same team, which in some ways is good because you get that continuity, because I think we have some nice pieces in place. There are definitely holes in the roster. But um, now with all these rumors wrong, I'm a bit worried about that. And now with Jekko's move falling through, as much as I'm happy to have Jekko still around because he has been so good for Roma and they have been very reliant on him, with the Milik move falling apart, you wonder if Jekko is going to be able to rebound for the third time of being potentially sold. Um, first mm-hmm. Chelsea, then Inter, and now to Juve and you wonder what that does on his psyche as the team captain you know he's pretty professional from everything I've seen so I wonder if he'll be able to bounce back and still be a you know a captain that the players can follow and really uh Roma can rely on him um because if mentally he's not there I think it's gonna leave a huge hole on the front line and they already struggle to score goals so I think those would be my two biggest worries um in terms of exciting things, you know, I was excited before Zaniolo went down to see the next step in his progression. But I think also the other young players, I think we're, we're going to see some nice things from VR and um, Ibanez. Even Kambula is, a, is an exciting signing. I think Mancini's got plenty of room to grow. So I think there's plenty of young players, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a few, uh, that I think should take the next step. So I think that is an exciting piece. Um, and then I think that's the biggest one. I think I'm also excited to see what happens with Friedkin, the kind of moves they make, the kind of structure they put in place to hopefully uh, organize things a little bit better than Palota. You know, Palota was a good bridge owner, I'd say, where he got Roma from the almost like the dark ages of uh, Italian soccer to now into the modern world with the social media and the website and things like that. But um, I think Friedkin, hopefully, with the way they seem to run their businesses, take them another step further. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I sort of forgot Jekka was, yeah, you're right, Chelsea then Inter, but I don't know if any of them were quite as close as this year. It was definitely um, a strange turn of events from last week where it was just struggling to get maybe, I think we had some days five or six things and up on the site each day, and then this week it's really waking up and just sort of looking, and it's just been like a barren wasteland. It's, it's <laughs> you, you, you in a transfer room every day, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, and even today's wasn't it wasn't terribly exciting. I mean, I'd love to have Rudiger back. He's one of my favorite players, but that you know, didn't really move the needle that much um but yeah i just i guess i'm reaching the point where i said to feel bad for chris smalling because he so obviously wants to come back and he's really going to be the one holding the bag 
Um, all right, Sean, since we got you here, let's uh, tell me just a couple things you're most excited about this year, maybe a few things that you're worrying about, Roma-related. A couple of things I'm excited about. I think, considering that, we're, we're, like Stephen said, it's, a, it's kind of a minor miracle that we're in a second season of going for a possession-based team with Fonseca. Um, it's the hardest, hardest style of football to try and try and build into a club. So my couple of things are I'm excited about Amadou Diawara and Gonzalo Villar. Um, the two, probably the two most technically excellent players that we have in our team. Um, what could go wrong? I, again, I have to agree with Stephen. I mean, I've said from pre-season that I feel this year. We've all said that it's it's a year of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer because of the circumstances surrounding football, the pandemic and uh, the lack of money coming in uh, and also the, the, more, the money falling out of the game. Um, but I, I feel like that's going to be reflected on the pitch more so, more so in terms of players who were counting on moving to a club elsewhere this summer and they didn't necessarily get that move because you know it's a recession. So um, yeah, Roma is one of those clubs. We're we're one of those clubs where we we promise players that they they only have to stay here for a certain amount of time, and we'll get them on their way when they're ready to go. Um, that, that hasn't happened this year, and obviously most notably with Ed and Jekyll. Um, so I, I'm just worried that you know we we're building ourselves as, as a development club, and that's that's an honourable thing to do. I, I you know I can I can find enjoyment in that, but. Um, Development clubs need to be able to move on their players when when they're ready to go, and we haven't done that this year. And we, we might be stuck with a bunch of players who really weren't figuring out on being around here as long as they are. Right, I think you bring up a good point there about being a developing team. I think that's what drove a lot of people crazy about um, James Pilata's, um sort of stewardships, particularly in the last few years, where it was um, sort of his actions were matching what he was telling us. So he was telling us that we want to be this huge club, but at the same time, you're turning around and selling people. So that yeah. Uh, quite frustrating for me. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with being a developmental club. It hasn't certainly hurt clubs like Ajax or anything like that, but you need, yeah. to, pick, you need to pick a path and go with it. Um, yeah, I guess for me, what I'm most excited about, uh, I'll echo Steven too. I think it's just um, uh, excited slash curious to see what Fonseca could do with the second year because, um, as we all know, I think the average tenure over the past 10 years has been like maybe 15 or 16 months for a manager. So I feel like uh, it would be nice to see him get like a full proper run at it. Um, but, you know, having said that, we saw all these stories this week. Uh, as for what makes me nervous, um, I have to go with the injuries as well. I feel like it's um, knee injuries are plaguing <laughs> everywhere I look. So we lost San Diego. Uh, my other favorite football team, American football team, lost their star player, Saquon Barkley, with a torn ACL. And to top it all off, I found out the other day, I, me, myself, in the real world, might have a torn meniscus. So I have to go get that checked out. <laughs> So we might we might lose you from CDT. For yeah, I might be going to learn how to write in a recliner. But, <laughs> yeah, no, I saw when I I got the uh, well, I don't have the official diagnosis yet, but when I went to the doctor, he mentioned it in my head. I was like, well, shit. Well, <laughs> oh yeah, I hope yeah. it turns out not to be too serious. Yeah, no, I have some DOR empathy, I guess, but um, yeah, I just thought it was kind of funny, not funny, but ironic, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so there was a reason I I wanted to start off with um, talking about how we each came to the site. Um, I'm just going to sort of, sort of make a large assumption that um, a big reason why we're Roma fans is probably because of Francesco Totti and Daniele De Rossi. Um, there's my American Italian pronunciation there. 
Um, I just think when I, when I came to the team, I've mentioned this many times, I didn't know a thing about Rome. Um, I just assumed because it was Rome that they'd be the biggest, most powerful club in the country, um, kind of like James Pallotta said, so I can certainly identify with that. But uh, once you learned a bit about, excuse me, a bit more about those two men and how just simply great they were and how loyal, um, exceedingly and sometimes stupidly loyal, you could say, to the club, um, and it just sort of fostered this sort of myth and almost romanticism about the team that they were able to um, have as much success as they were between the Copa Tallies and all the second place finishes when the squad around them wasn't that great. You had sort of um, average players like Tenetto and uh, Cassetti, John Anirisa, players like that. Um, but the fact that they were able to have so much success because of these two guys who had every reason in the world to leave, but they stayed because they loved the club, they loved the city. And I think you couldn't help but fall in love with the team because of that. So I'm just wondering, now that both of those players are gone and we've seen so many high-priced players come in, so many promising young kids sold, is that myth, is that romanticism still there for you, Stephen? Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely was attracted to Roma in part because of Toti. Um, I started watching soccer from what I remember. 2002 World Cup was the first tournament I really remember watching closely with that Italy team. And I loved Totti and I loved uh, Christian Vietti because he, he would just bag goals for that team. And Totti kind of drew me into Roma along with my, you know, affinity for the city and the the history of the city. And, you know, it's because of Totti and De Rossi, I'm sure I stuck around early on because if Totti had been sold to Real Madrid or someone early on, I probably would have moved on, I'm sure. Because when you start liking a player and then you become a fan of the team eventually. Um, and then De Rossi became my favorite player as he, you know, became a star himself. I just liked his style of play, like the, the, the hard nosedness. But, you know, if for someone who starts liking the team now, maybe because of a Zaniolo or someone like that, the risk is certainly there of him being sold in a couple of years. And maybe if you're just a casual fan at the beginning, you might not grow into the type of fan we are now the way Toti helped us become like diehard fans that were watching matches every week and were living and dying with each result in many ways. Um, so I think the romanticism is gone a little bit, especially the way Florenzi was ushered out, even though he wasn't on the level of Toti and De Rossi. But even the way Toti and De Rossi were ushered out by Pelota in terms of their playing days, I think that kind of was the end of the romanticism where uh, Toti didn't get to go out in his terms and De Rossi didn't go out, get to go out in his terms. I think it has died a little bit. We'll see what happens with players like Pellegrini, who are Roman-born and bred. Um, but again, nobody's going to be on that level of Totti and De Rossi, I don't think, at least not in the current crop. Right. Um, Sean, how about, how about you? What do you think? Is sort of the, um, the myth or the spirit of this club, has it changed for you over the past several years? Uh, well, did it ever, did it never it's, exist? It's, I guess would be <laughs> no, I, I'd, I'd be lying if I said it never existed. I... I did believe in the myth once, but then <laughs> now, uh, having having spoken to Roma fans uh, who've been through what we've been through in the past, whether it be with Totti, De Rossi, um, even going back as far as Di Bartolomeo or Lozzi, I realise that it goes in cycles and, and we're not really living through anything we haven't seen before from very, the very beginning of AS Roma. Um, so... I, I I did come prepared for this question with a because um, <laughs> you, you you let us know that we'll be talking about this and uh, I I looked up online um, I found a piece that uh, you know, from a guy who could be called the brand of his time the brand in two thousand three or four he's the the moderator of AS Ultra's group and uh, he was giving his opinion on Franco Sensi at the time I, mm-hmm. I want to read it because yeah you, please you. 
yeah, you guys might decide, you know, how similar this is to how we're going for right now. And anyway, what, what he said was, for once, it's actually time for me to add my, two, my own two cents. I, too, don't particularly like Franco Sensi. It's true that he brought the league title to Roma, something that not just everyone manages to do, but a president who is also the son of the very founders of Roma, a president who wanted to bring back the traditional club crest that was left behind by even Dino Viola, is not a president who can just turn a club into his own personal business. And if he really wants to do that, then he has to build a business that's run well. There are two ways to run a football club, or actually three. The first is a club runs from the heart, based more on sentiment than results. The second is a model of club slash business, where you completely forget about the heart and only think about results on the bottom line. The third is that reasonable middle ground, where even if you have to meet certain demands of quote unquote modern football, you can still manage to stay anchored to club traditions. We expected Franco Sensi to go the third way, being as his business isn't an American multinational company, but a petrol fund that's still Roman all the same. And instead, as others rightly have said, Sensi is trying to turn the most sentimental fans into clients. Associazione Sportiva Roma is becoming Azienda Sportiva Roma, which is you know, Roma the business. Stripped of our sacred flags and banners, forgetting about the match day fans in favor of TV fans, and even going so far as to make us envy Lazio fans who, as it looks to us, have a rapport between club and fans that we can only remember having back in the 80s. What's more, he's even got a very debatable way of running the club and a questionable way of not honoring the club's history. How long have we been talking about building a club museum or hall of fame like all, all the big clubs have? For all these reasons, at least for me, it's fair to say that Franco Sensi, the league title aside, is a disappointment when it comes to building a relationship with the pure Roma fans. And by that, I mean those fans who renew their season tickets regardless. And that's the loyalty that's been betrayed, been betrayed by Franco Sensi today. Um, so, I mean, you, you guys tell me how, how, how similar or different does that seem to how we're going through today? That is uh, remarkably prescient. Um, yeah, I guess it's the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, we do have a Hall of Fame, so that's a, a step in the right direction. Exactly. Yeah, I, that is, it's always... I think as a fan, when you, you, you dream about owning a team, you don't really think about the bottom line. You would just sort of say, you know, the hell of it, I would spend whatever, um, whatever it takes. And I think there's certainly a school of thought that these people who buy any sort of sporting franchises, you know, you pay whatever, $500 million for Roma, that's out of your $4 billion net worth. So it is in some sense, just pocket change to them. So they could theoretically just spend without really thinking it's sort of uh, my read some article in reference to um, I've been with the Dallas Mavericks the NBA team were sold a long time ago. Um, someone sort of touted the line that um, you want, there's really no, I can't remember how it was. It was just essentially like there's the psychic benefits of owning a team, sort of this, the pleasure of it and watching something grow and sort of the, how it feeds your ego is sort of more important than the financing, not more important, but it draws people in people who don't really need to make a living off of sports. Yeah. So I, I, that is that was an interesting sort of dichotomy that they mentioned that. And was that 2003, you said? Yeah, it was 2003 and four. Uh, the, the, they, the, the thing that they were most pissed off about with, with Cincy at that time was that the club had just won the league title and they raised season ticket prices. Um, in some cases, even 100, even after the club had started faltering in a the, in the few seasons after with the whole Cassano uh, transfer going wrong and, and a, bunch of, a bunch of flops in the market. Um, they, they kept the season ticket prices at that you know, season, that championship winning 
level, which I, I know that people in um, uh, the St. Louis Blues, because I'm, I'm a nice hockey fan as well, but you know, the Blues fans are very pissed off about that. You know, they've won their first um, Stanley Cup in forever, well, in their history, and you know, ticket prices have gone up. Um, it was the same in Roma. And uh, they essentially kept those prices the same even after the club started flopping. So you had Roma fans who were being asked to pay more expensive tickets in Rome than even the Champions League winning team of AC Milan or the cup winning team of Lazio. And, and you know, that, that was what really ranked them off about Sensi at the time. Wow. Um, Stephen, can we fact check that? Did the St. Louis Blues actually win the Stanley Cup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last year they did. Was it really? Yeah, last year. Yeah. I've fallen so far away from the NHL. I think once I stopped playing hockey, I didn't keep pace with it. But wow. Yeah. And the current one's going on right now, right? Was it Tampa and Dallas? Yeah, Tampa and Dallas. My, my Islanders uh, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals unexpectedly. So I, enjoy, I enjoyed the playoffs this year for a while. Wow, so Sean, I. Sean, I would never have pegged you as a hockey fan, let alone the Blues. Oh, well, I'm, uh, like Steven, I'm I'm, you've got two Islanders fans here. So, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that might not be good for your health. Yeah, well, that was a sidetrack. Um, so that was 2003. Yeah, that definitely wasn't me. 2003, I was still upset about the Cubs losing to the Marlins in the NLCS. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting, though. Um, Stephen, what's your take on that? What? So Sean read us that piece where there's three different paths towards another. There's a middle ground trying to balance the fans' um, happiness with the budget, or there's just going straight budget, running like a business. Uh, where would you put Pilata in that in that trident, and where do you think Freakin falls in that trident? I mean, Palota, I think, was probably, I think, in some ways, he did aim for that that third, that middle ground, because he did do things to uh, improve the brand, improve the image of the club, um, yep. get the Hall of Fame, things like that. But at the same time, from the business standpoint, he had to sell players to balance the books as best he could, but what he said didn't always match what he did. Like you said before, when he's with Allison, for example, I think is the biggest one. Oh, he's not going anywhere. And then, you know, that big offer comes in at almost a hundred million and it's too good to, to pass up. And that turns him off to the fans. So I, I think he ended up being more in the second category of the business standpoint, even though I think he did strive in some ways to fit more did, of that middle ground. Did we, uh, did we sell Allison? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the worst part about it is like that that record was smashed by Keppa, like what two days later. And now yeah. he's riding the pine. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I hope Free can 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 find that middle ground because we do need to run a sustainable business. I mean, in modern football, any modern sport, you can't just run on romanticism, especially a larger club with the rev um, the need for revenue like a Roma has or some of these other big clubs have. They they need the business aspect. You know, we're not. Um, like La Spezia coming up from Serie B. And then, you know, we're happy to be there. We're going to do the best we can for probably the one season we're in Serie A. And then, you know, whatever happens, happens. You know, we go back down to Serie B. Roma needs to make money yeah. to keep bringing players in that we enjoy watching and to pay the players that are still here. Zaniola is going to need a big contract one day if he sticks around. You know, these guys need to get paid too. So the middle ground has to be found. But I think the biggest difference I noticed um, in that article was or the letter was that uh, they had just come off a, a Scudetto. And, you know, since he was able to achieve that, Pelota couldn't even win a Coppa Italia. So that is one of the big black marks on his name, too, from a yes. fan standpoint. That, that, that's actually one of the things, probably the, the most common thing that was repeated when I was reading these, uh, these posts from the fans back in the day was 
everyone's happy as long as you're winning titles and signing great players. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that, once, once you have those two things, no, no one's complaining. There's, no one has any problems. And it's true for me as well. I mean, my personal answer is that I started supporting Roma when they signed Gabriel Batisuta. Um, I, I, my best friend in high school was a massive Batisuta fan. And I was a big fan of, of impressing my best friend. So, you know, whatever he was into, <laughs> I was into as well. You know, and, and he came to school excited one day saying, oh, Batistuta's moved from Fiorentina to Roma. And I just became a Roma fan because I, I wanted to play champ manager with him. Um, and, uh, you know, we just had this like kind of like friendly rivalry going on where we just started supporting Roma. Uh, but it didn't take me long that season, that, that Scudetto winning season, to notice that, um, you know, the guy in the number 10 shirt was actually pretty good. And uh, he became my favorite player. But it, you know, it was a team full of stars. And that, that's what that's what drew me as, an, as a Roma fan. Right. I, I, I think the other reason I wanted to discuss this, because I think that's, um, I, I mentioned it in some article I wrote a couple of weeks ago. I've done so many of these, they bleed into one sometimes. But uh, just sort of the, the psychological effect or impact of being the local kid on the Roman team and you have all those expectations, all those anxieties, all that pressure is sort of personified in you. So you get probably too much credit and too much blame. And I think that's why we have so many uh, continuing arguments on our messaging board about players like Pellegrini and Florenzi. Are they good enough? Are they getting too much crap because of from Rome? Are they getting too much praise because of from Rome? So it's sort of a perpetuating thing. And I know we touched upon this briefly in our practice one. Um, Sean, I'll refer to you on this one, but do you think uh, there's any other club in the world where a local person gets that? Like if there's a Parisian playing for PSG or maybe someone from Manchester playing for United or City, do they get that? Did Gerard get that playing for Liverpool? Do you think it's just a Roman thing? Um, we did. I mean, we did We did run this in a, in a press question, like you said. I, I didn't actually look it up because I, I didn't I, – I thought we'd, we'd be leaving it for this week, so um, – <laughs> I, I, I think Stephen came up with the best answer when, when yeah. we talked about it before, which is Lorenzo Insigne at, at Napoli. Um, you, you're looking at, I think you're, look, you're looking for players who are born into clubs that are starved of success and, and, and like, you know, really looking for someone to blame when it goes wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and also have a lot of attention on them. Uh, Rome is a, a bit unique in that sense. You know, I'm, I'm not a fan of saying that. Rome is unique in general, but I have to admit in this, in this case, they are because this is a city that's been built up from years of have, having money thrown at it from even as far back as the fascist Italy days. Um, and you have a city that is surrounded, it's, it's a media city, you know, and like, if you want to host a big show in Italy, usually you end up going to Roma to film it in a TV studio or you end up going to Roma Radio. There's tons of stations around the city. So it's a, it's a you know, lest we forget it's the Italian capital, it's also just you know, the media heart of the country. And uh, AS Roma is not actually a club that can, that really, I mean, it gets all the attention of being a city, but it doesn't have the sporting success to, to really warrant that attention. So um, I think that's a bit of a unique situation in that sense. Yeah, and I think the big thing you you mentioned there was that the clubs, like I came up with that Insigne comparison, Napoli, similar to Roma, is star for that success. And so the fans need something else to, you know, grip, grab onto. And if it's a local boy who becomes a star like Totti or Insigne, is not on Totti's level, but for Napoli, he's a big-time player. Whereas mm-hmm. another local boy recently that I can think of was Marquisio, was a Turin-born and raised guy. 
And he was far from the biggest star on that team. He was loved by the fans, but I don't think he was ever under the same pressure. And I could be wrong because I don't follow Juve that closely, but I don't think he was ever under the same pressure as a Pellegrini or an Insigne or something like that on a team that doesn't win as often, that isn't surrounded by as many stars. You know, yeah. Marquisio could have probably started for anyone in Italy at that time in the midfield. He was, he was starting for the national team and he was a, a hell of a midfielder. But, Honestly, and anyone in the world. In my yeah, opinion. yeah. And, but he was never under the same microscope that yeah. uh, someone on Roma or, or Napoli or maybe a club of that level would be under. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that top tier of Milan, Inter and, and Juve, they don't have to hold those players to the same uh, scrutiny, I guess you can say, because they have other big stars and they've won plenty. Yeah, I think you guys are absolutely right. I think it's the the financing and the sort of extent to which and the frequency with which a team wins. Um, if Roma was winning nine in a row, I don't think it would be that big of a deal where the players come from. Um, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I can't stress enough to you how um, excited slash nervous I am to do this because I obviously I'm a writer and I, I find myself more articulate in writing than I am in speaking. So um, yeah. I'm hopeful that my ums and pauses will stop as we're going. But we're doing this on Zoom and uh, you know, try to save a buck wherever I can. So we went did the free Zoom. We're limited to 40 minutes. But that little last pause there, a pop-up came in and said they're going to let us extend this first one. Okay. Yeah. That's right. The last one's always for free. I'm trying to hook us in. Yeah, I think it's the hook us in. Um, okay. So with that in mind, we got a little more leeway, uh, but we are spread out quite far. So we're trying to keep um, respectful of people's time zone differences here. Oh, yeah. And we are recording this on Friday, September 25th. And my hope is if I can get the editing uh, relatively painlessly, I can get this up tonight. Um, so let's quickly check back to last weekend's opening round match against Ellis Verona, my favorite nickname team in the league, the Mastiffs, uh, mostly because my sister has a Mastiff. They're beautiful dogs. Um, so I almost said the draw against Verona, but as we all know, it has since become a 3-0 loss thanks to a minor clerical error in which Amadou Diawara was incorrectly listed as a minor under-22 player. Um, but let's let's not worry about that right now. Let's talk about what we actually saw on the pitch. Um, Sean, what did you think? What was your first impression of the new 2020-2021 Roma? Very boring, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to be honest. I, I mean, I, I, I'm more of a direct football fan anyway, but, uh, you know, I, I'm on Fonseca's side, and I, I, I can get myself geared up for this team. You know, there are things in it that I appreciate. But uh, the first match was um, 
it was it was very dull. And uh, I, I think that when when you see t- 22 players turn up and, and they're not really giving 100%, and this isn't me criticising the team, I'm saying in general, even the Verona players didn't look like they had their hearts in it. Um, there's, there's not really much that I can take out of analysing a match like that because I, I think the temptation is to to um, try and find problems like long, long-standing problems that have existed elsewhere in the club and, and try and pin it on that match. Oh, this is the reason why we drew nil-nil. But it's it's just not that way. I think I think it's just a, it was a strange match, very dull atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve, what did Stephen? What did you think? What was your first impression of the newest Roma? Yeah, um, and I think the big takeaway, even though it was the first match, I think because of all the Jekko Milik drama that was going on, not having a real striker. Uh, really hurt them. I, we we know how much Jack has been a focal point for the last, I think, five seasons now, especially last season under Fonseca. You know, they, they played off him a lot with the holdup play, having guys run off him, and there was none of that available. You know, at times, they, you know, the wingbacks would push forward, but there's no cross to swing in because there's nobody, you know, tall enough to head home across. And <laughs> I, I think that they definitely need a striker. It looks like Jacko is now here to stay, which is fine, um, you know, um, and now they're talking about bringing in a, a second striker who's not named Kalinich, which is probably pleasing to many people. Um, but that um, Mayoral, who was uh, a Real Madrid product, is the n- new name rumored to come in. So it's a younger striker, but they definitely need a number nine up front, it seems like, with the way they want to play. Yeah, you guys, are, you guys are both right. That was a very strange and very boring match. And I think when I look back, I'm just always going to remember about the – I think I got about 2,000 words into it to my comparison between Jekko and Milik. I had charts. I had interactive graphs. I had uh, video clip, I had video clips. I had um, what I call GIF. I can't say GIF. I say GIF. So I had those in there. It was really I, – I say, I say GIF as well. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. So I was really excited. About it. I was really excited to sort of dive in the weeds and see um, how differently the club would have to play with Milik. But um, I mean, that whole thing was just a house of cards, and I, it's it still, I, I still would say it's probably the strangest confluence of transfers I've ever had to cover in my time doing this. And I think it was on the game thread that it just they looked very disinterested. So I'm wondering. Uh, is that the timing, the short off season? Was it maybe the weather? Was it the lack of fans? Who knows? Um, yeah, so I want to I want to touch back on something that you said a couple minutes ago, Sean. So last week did that titanic, gigantic three part series looking to Gasparini. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excellent work. One of the best things we ever had in there. We got great feedback on it. But I want just sort of like maybe a two part question for our readers and maybe even those of us who maybe aren't that familiar with the tactics. So. Tell us, A, what does Fonseca football look like when it's running absolutely perfectly? And then, B, why does that take so long? And what does he need to do to get them to sort of inculcate that Fonseca football that we saw a little bit in Shakhtar? Um, Well, not to dodge the question, but it's it's (laughs) hard to say what what his ideal uh, football is. Because I I wrote a piece, whatever, I mean, this is his first summer, whatever, 12 months ago, where I... I realized that I actually oversimplified his football um, or, or his career. He's, he's, um, he's played about three different ideal sides of play. And uh, we've seen two of them in the first season where he's really set up a team to, to sort of like sit back, uh, recycle the ball in, in Roma's own half and wait for the opposition to, to push up and press them and then hit them on the break. And he did that because we've got a very young front line uh, full of, kids who love to run straight to goal so it just made the most sense 
Um, and that reflects his, his time at Braga and, and Pacos Ferreira um, in Portugal. But he, he found amazing success against the odds with both those teams, um, including a Portuguese cup where he, you know, he beat Porto in the final. Not many coaches manage this kind of stuff. But um, if we're talking about Shakhtar Fonseca, the most successful version of him. It's very, very hard. It's the hardest style of football to play. And, and we definitely haven't seen it in anything like what he wants it to be in Roma because you're talking about um, being able to pass the ball in the middle of the pitch and, and have players make constantly make runs off the ball to, to free up a teammate um, and be able to make those decisions within the space of you know, three, four, five seconds uh, in order to, to play it into goal and, and finish off the move. Um, that's really, it's, it's the hardest thing you can ask of any football team. It's because you have teams set up around the league, not just in Italy, but everywhere, set up to defend that that 18-yard space in front of the penalty box. Um, and Fonte could sort of come to this realization by the end of uh, this past May gone by that, you know, it's he's asking something of the team that... Um, if he insists upon it, he will lose his job, and you know he he will have a bunch of depressed Roma players that that won't be sad to see him go. Um, yeah, he, he's looked for a way to to work around that ideal and get some confidence back into the team. And we saw him use the wings more, um, get you know shave about two three seconds off the build up play by moving a moving a man back to be able to to pass more directly, um, and. Uh, it worked as a as a placebo for now, but I think we all see recently, or obviously in the first match. I I just said don't draw conclusions from this first match, but you know it, we can see that the the enthusiasm that's built up around you know four four two four or three three four two one and how it was suddenly the answer a few weeks ago and, and delivering goals and points suddenly like the enthusiasm behind that is gone because it's not. You know, the formation isn't the answer in itself. It's it's really how it's really how do you get confidence into into players to believe that they can push and push and push to the next level and eventually play that that you know that technical football where you're playing um, you're moving the opposition around and you're playing through the middle and you're playing straight to goal. It's it's a hard juggling act to do, and that's what he's stuck at doing right now. So, in your estimation, is it just um, maybe time and patience he's missing? Is there any maybe not a specific player in the transfer market. Is there a specific type of player that might make this um, uh, easier? I think he, he's, been, he's been explicit about the players that he needs. He, he, he needs more Pedros. Um, ideally, you'd want them to be younger and you'd want them to be faster and, and in their prime. But you know, the club has gone out and gotten him one of the, the types of players that, he, that he, he's been asking for, which is, those uh, those forwards in the front line, like like Pedro or Carlos Perez, who can really handle um, a defender trying to take away space and time from them, and they still come out with the answer. You know, they don't panic under pressure. They don't. They, you know, there's this new term that I'm seeing online called press resistant, and uh, that's it. You know, he wants press resistant players who can who can handle being tightly press, marked by defenders. Resistant. Yeah, press resistant. Sounds like a um, yeah, it's it's a bit too uh, cold for me as a term, but it's you know if, if you've got a, a defender on your case or two, as the case maybe with Eden Jacko or Nicolas Agnolo, um, you know you, you want to know that that player can handle that and and can can work the ball in that tight space and still come out you know either finding a teammate or finding their way to goal, and that's what he's missing. 
right, so I'll, I'll throw this one out to either one of you. Do you think um, there would have been any difference either in the style of player or certainly the result if Ed and Jekka was out there? When I watched that first match, I was um, really impressed with how quickly they were moving the ball sort of through the transition towards the edge of the 18, uh, mostly because of um, Pedro, uh, Pellegrini, and Mkhitaryan. They were really moving quickly. They had some good passing networks going, and you just couldn't help but, like Steven said, there's no one to finish it off. So do you think if Jekka was there, they would have played the same way, A, and B, would they have had a different results? Steven, what do you think? Um, I, th- I think it might have changed a little bit because you do have a little more pace up front with the players they had playing with the false nine look. Um, but at the same time, I think Jekka might have helped unlock the defense with his, with his style of play. He's a bigger striker. And I think Verona plays a very defensive style of football. So when they're packing it in, it's hard to beat them with those little runs. Um, so Jekko might have made a difference. He might not have. Um, who knows how much the Jekko situation affected the mentality of the team going in. I think I heard at one point he actually refused to warm up, knowing that like Juve was waiting for him right after the match. So who knows, even if as a sub, he would have made a difference. But, it, you know, it's all theoretical. But I'd be curious to see against uh, Juve how different it is with him up front. You know, whole different animal to attack, but um, yeah, it was, like I said, that was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Just having you know your club's fourth all-time mm-hmm. leading scorer sitting on the bench because he's <laughs> to be transferred or traded to the biggest team in the country. So for him to say no, I'm not playing, that's perfectly understandable because he had even million dollars riding on because he was yeah that race even too. even more surreal when the scoreline is nil nil yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and they were very uh, lackluster in the second half. The first half, at least, they had a little bit going on. It seemed like they might unlock the defense a little bit, but by the second half, it was evident that they needed something different up front. And I think that's part of the reason Fonseca waited so long to make a switch is he just didn't know where to go to, I guess, find that player that was going to make a difference. I was surprised Perez didn't get a look in the second yeah. half some, yeah. somewhere because I thought he might have been the difference maker. I was surprised Cloyvert came in instead. Um, but even when he came in, it was pretty late, so it wasn't making that's, much of a difference. That's sort of what I was asking with Jekko. The thing I wonder, it's like maybe a bit of a chicken and egg scenario. Does Fonseca need a striker like Jekko, or is he just sort of making the best use of him? Because if we look at this mayoral guy, I looked up real quick. He's um, a bit shorter, quite a bit shorter than Jekko, and not quite as robust. So I'm wondering, do you, does Fonseca need a hulking striker like that, or might it be better with okay. sort of a smaller yeah, I see where you're going. I don't think Edin Dzeko is, is Fonseca's ideal striker. If that's, okay. if that's what your question is. Um, I, I think he's had to work with him in the first season. Uh, I, I definitely don't think he's, he's been complaining about working with Dzeko because Dzeko is a, a quality player and uh, Roman would be in a worse situation last season if they didn't have him. But uh, ideally, I believe Fonseca just wants a striker who can... Um, Fight for the fight for the long balls when the team goes for that because you, you always need that in your team. You, know, you can't always be playing short passing. You need Plan B. Um, so he, he wants a strong striker who can who can fight for the, for the long balls, which Edin Jacko can do. But it's not you know Jacko is not going to be happy if he's doing that all match. Whereas you, you want someone who who is happy, um, ready, willing to do that all ninety minutes if need be, and uh, and then he just wants a striker who can. Um, like move into spaces to be able to free up uh, Pedro, Perez, or Kaiva, whoever's behind him, to, to be able to move in on goal. Uh, that's it. And striker in most teams is not that complicated a position. It's actually relatively undemanding. It's just that you have to have the nerve to be able to finish off the chances when they come your way. So let me ask a question. Now, this might sound like blasphemy when I bring up this name, but 
Uh, Sean, do you see like Chiro Immobile as that kind of striker, the guy who can run, he, he'll hold up the ball when they need him to, and he'll just poach goals? Yes, I, absolutely. Because that's exactly what, that's the perfect example. Uh, he, you know, he runs left to make room for Alberto Savage and Correa to do their thing behind him. Um, he will, he will stay up high because he, you know, he, he, he wants the other team to be able to stay on their feet and, and he wants to stretch the team and, and not have the opposition be too confident pressing that to up, upfield. Um, and then when, when chances do come his way, he can finish off the hard ones, he can finish off the easy ones, and, and that's all you want in the striker. Yeah, yeah I, I certainly didn't mean to um, denigrate Jekko. I just really was sort of a, a curious question about a chicken and egg scenario. Um, yeah. that, that is a, a good segue to I think what we'll cover up next, maybe be our last topic because we're pushing on towards an hour mark here. Um, so obviously this has been a, a very strange week in the Romaverse. They had... Uh, starting with the point deduction because of the clerical error with Diawara, um, and then just rumors of a rift between Jekyll and Fonseca, and then rumors of Fonseca being replaced by Max Allegri. Uh, you know, obviously Fonseca has done nothing to this point to warrant being sacked, but do you think the fact that he wasn't even Roma's first choice and he certainly wasn't hired by the current ownership, do you think he's sort of facing a win-or-go-home this weekend or maybe in the next couple of weeks? Do you fear for his job, Stephen? Um, I, I do in some ways because, like you said, he wasn't hired by the current owners. Uh, Petrarchi's not there, who I don't know how good or bad their relationship was because it seems like they had some rifts too. But So anybody that was involved in the club to bring him in, really, except for Fianga, and we don't know how much Fianga, you know, how much of a freaking deer he has at this point. Um, you know, they, they didn't bring him in. So he's not their guy. So in some ways, he's a little bit of a lame duck. I don't want to call him a lame duck yet because – you know, it's been one match and this week is Juve. So how much can you really go off of a potential loss to Juve? But I know the uh, first five or six w- match weeks, if I remember right, we have, I think also Napoli and Milan, if I remember correctly, somewhere in that first six matches. I know they have a couple big teams coming up um, after the international break. That will certainly put more pressure on him. Um, they're going to need to win next week. They play a smaller club, but um, I do worry about his job security a bit, um, but you you can't, in my opinion, fire him off of a loss to Juve this week, if that's what how it plays out, unless it's like an utter embarrassment. And even then, I still think he needs time. It does get a tad bit easier. So after Juve, it's um, away to Udinese, then home versus Benevento before Milan Fiorentina. So Milan Fiorentina, okay. A um, little bit easier. But I, got, I guess what I'm saying or what I'm asking is, we'll go to Sean on this one. Do you think that this whole – Maybe if there is or isn't a riff between Fonseca and Jekko, this whole everything that's happened this week, do you think it would provide the Freakins a convenient excuse to say, "Hey, we're going to blow it up right now. This is our our club. Let's do it our way." And this is maybe just a convenient excuse to sort of toss Fonseca out. I hope not, but I I am worried about your job. Uh, I I don't believe that there's a riff between Jekko and Fonseca. I, I I believe that they argued after a game but I, I think that happens every week it's, it's, it's just a question of whether journalists want to make a story about it in, in one week or another um, but I, I am worried about Fonseca because I read from Filippo Biafora this week on Il Tempo um, that the club had actually made contact with Max Allegri so and, and Biafora is not, not someone to, to make up stories he's actually very diligent and, and actually takes a point of pride in in only reporting what he knows to be true secondhand or firsthand. Yeah, that's um, a good point about him. Yeah, well, that's so sort of when, it. Just whether it's warranted or not, it seems like 
the downloads are landing up. Like he has a convenient excuse. He's like, there is a more than suitable manager available. He has this yeah. thing. We came in late. We couldn't really do what we wanted. And he can say, well, he's not managing our best player as well as we'd like, et cetera, et cetera. So the excuses are built in there. Do you think it's going to happen? Would a loss to Juventus prompt them to do that? I know you don't. You a, lot, a, a loss to Juve? No, I can't see that happening. Um, I, I, I agree with Stephen. It's, our results would have to be humiliating for it to, for the change to happen mid-season. Sure. But I do worry about um, him not getting a job beyond uh, 2021, which is when his contract is up anyway. Uh, it's, it's, it's out there now that the club are talking to, to other coaches. So it, it seems like he's not their choice for the long term. And the thing that I wonder about, too, with Allegri, he's a winning coach, no doubt. But the teams he's worked with, Milan when he won the Scudetto with them, and then again with Juve, he's had pretty much the best roster in Italy in both cases. Yeah. Um, you know, Milan was before Juve became a power again. And then yeah. Juve, he came in after Conte already laid the groundwork. So you wonder if he's the right coach for like a project. I feel like Fonseca is a little bit better coach for a project coming with his background. But I mean, I could be wrong, but Allegri is going to demand certain players and his style of football is a complete 180, I think, from uh, what Fonseca tries to do in a lot of ways. So yeah, uh, then you're looking at more changes in terms of personnel. Wouldn't you agree, Sean? I fully agree with you. I, I, I think Allegri is the wrong direction to go. It's, it's, I, it's, there's no disrespect to his CV. I mean, he, he's, He's now the winningest, winningest manager in Serie A history. You know, no one has more, more league titles than him. Uh, no one has ever won five league titles in a row in, in Serie A history. This is only Allegri stands by himself alone in that, in that category. But that, as you said, was done with uh, an AC Milan team where Inter were dismantling their treble-winning team. Uh, Juve were rebuilding from having been relegated. And then a Juve team where, yes, credit to him, he brought them to two Champions League finals, which Antonio Conte could never do. But um, I, I was, it's, you know, he's, he's a man manager. He's, he needs the right players and then he can just, he can keep them in the right mindset to, to last the marathon throughout the season. And very often doing it in ugly ways, like, you know, uh, trying to defend a 1-0 lead and kill off a game uh, 20 minutes to the end. Team clubs like Roma, Teams like Roma don't have that mentality to be able to see out matches in that way against the biggest teams. Um, you know, we, I agree with you. I'd rather, I think of all the candidates been, that have been named or mentioned right so far, the most, the one that makes sense to me is Mauricio Sarri because he's, he is someone who's used to working from the ground up. Um, he takes a more comprehensive view of uh, the club in terms of feeding in youth talent and, and also uh putting in place a system which we have already at the club for a year now under Fonseca, even arguably before him going back to Di Francesco, where um, you know, the, the, the team plays a certain way um, that, that you know, a club like Roma can afford to do over the long term. And I think, I think Sally makes sense. You know, I'm, I'm not going to down a hill for Fonseca. I'm, I'm a fan of his. But if, if you were to replace him, at least replace him with a coach that um, believes in the same thing that, that, you know, that he's working on right now. No, Allegri isn't that man. You don't think this would open the door for Laurent Blanc to finally coach Roma? I feel like <laughs> every single summer since I've covered the team, I don't even know if he's working right now, but he's always, especially when I first started off, it's always Laurent Blanc. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know where that comes from because he's a Formula Napoli man, so it's, it's not yeah. really in his interest. I mean, 
it was just the the go to option like around <laughs> 2013 2014 there. But um, yeah, this whole whole year is I think it's just gonna be very awkward. I'm just I I, I think that, you know the most pervasive error, the most pervasive mistake during Pilata was just the constant resetting of the manager. How can you yes. install a system when you're changing every 18 months? Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if uh, Dan and Ryan Freakin have learn from that. I mean, they probably weren't watching Italian football five years ago, but I'm sure they checked up on the history of the club and noticed that this was an issue. Do they want to continue that or do they want to take the bold claim and says, we're going to make one more change, but this is our change and then we're going to build off of this. So that's, yeah. that, that's this, is the, this is the only one we promise. <laughs> no, that's the only one, but it's just, it's their first one and they can put the due yeah. diligence and maybe find someone. So that's why I'm wondering maybe this, this whole season is just sort of um, keep the ship afloat, kind of here, stay anywhere between four and 10 don't completely implode and just we'll rebuild in the summer. So I, I worry about that. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's sort of wrap this up by, let's just do a little mini preview of this weekend's match against Juventus, the nine time defending champions. I can't, I can't get that in my mouth without laughing. It's so patently absurd and so horrible <laughs> for the health of the league, but uh, they're there. They got a new manager who is just killing it with the hair and the beard game, uh, but we'll see how he does it on the pitch. So, uh, Steve, is there any chance on earth that Roma can win this? I mean, I always think there's a chance. Um, it's at the Olympico, right? So it's a home match. They tend to play Juve better at home uh, in the past. There are no fans, which takes a little bit away from the home field advantage. But, um, you know, Juve won last week. I don't remember. Was it uh, Sampdoria? I forget who they beat. But, um, you know, it's Pirlo's first game against a quote-unquote bigger club in the league. So, Maybe Fonseca could find a way to outfox him, you know. Those quote up quotes. Yeah. yeah I don't, no, want, yeah, I don't want to oversell us. Yeah, 3-0 against him. <laughs> Sam Dora, yeah. So, you know, they won. They they did their, their job last week, and, you know, they have their world-class players, and I believe Dybala was back to training this week. I'm not sure if he's going to start. If there is a, a slim chance that they win, paints the picture, what happens? I think Jekko has to be super motivated. Um, <laughs> after the failed transfer, and he just decides, you know what, I'm going to show everybody that you know, I'm still as good as Juve thought I was to bring me in. And uh, he finds a way to score a goal or two. And uh, the young defense, because we're going to probably have three center backs, 24 or younger starting this game, yeah, uh, can hold up against Ronaldo and possibly Dybala and whatever gets thrown their way. Um, I don't know if Morata will get off the bench at all this week, because I think that transfer just recently went through. But um, not like they need him. Not that not that they need him now. So it'll be curious to see because without Smalling, and this is what one of the things that worries me right now is we're still very young back there, talented with that trio, but but young, and um, you wonder how much the lack of experience might hurt against a guy like Ronaldo, who just knows all the tricks of the trade, even even at his age now. You know he's not as fast as he once was or things like that, but he's still Ronaldo, and you know you've got was it 22, 20 and 24 across the back line, I think. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. So that, that might be the scary part, but I think it's going to take Jekko and guys like Pedro Mkhitaryan to really just find a way to unlock the Juve D and find a couple goals. And hopefully Roma can eke out like a one, one nil or two one or something. <laughs> uh, well, we did win the last one. Yeah. Granted that was yep. a bit of an asterisk on um, Sean, same question to you. What do you think is going to happen? Is there any scenario in which Roma could maybe even just take points from this one? Uh, Not the sound undefeatist. No, I have to agree with Stephen. I, I was really planning on being more disagreeable in these, these podcasts. But <laughs> I, I agree with Stephen again. I um, we'll find time. I, for- yeah, there's just plenty of time left. Um, I 
I I think it boils down to Jekyll has to turn up, uh, be very pissed off that his move didn't go through, or, or that people are doubting him and whether he's still got it. And, and you know, he bangs a few in. Um, make sure that the defense plays uh, very high up so that you don't let uh, Dybala play in between the lines where he's the most dangerous. And obviously set pieces because uh, against the big teams, they always come down to set pieces, mm-hmm. especially against Juve. They, you know, they always find a way to outdo uh, corners so don't give away stupid set pieces and stay concentrated when, when you're defending them because that's, that's often what it boils down to at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Steve here. I think the only way that they win this is if Edin Dzeko just goes on a tear and sort of um, channels his inner, I think it was Kirk Douglas from Falling Down. Have you ever seen that movie? Michael yeah. Douglas. Mike, is it Michael Douglas? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've seen it. So the yeah. guy just went on a rampage. So we just have to yeah. hope that Dzeko is sufficiently pissed off Sufficient has enough of a chip on his shoulders to propel them to victory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, in a perfect world, Pellegrini scores the winning goal and Fonseca outfoxes Pirlo, and then everything's well for a couple <laughs> weeks, right? <laughs> but that's a overly optimistic view of the world. So, <laughs> all right, guys. I, I, and, then, and, then, and then Pirlo is fired, and Allegri is becomes Juventus coach next week. <laughs> roundabouts, right? That's what you guys say. Yeah. Um, All right, I think we'll put a pin on it there. Um, Again, thank you, everyone, um, for reading all the time for the past uh, 10 years or so. Thank you for listening. Um, Yeah, give us a thumbs up or give us a positive rating. Uh, This will definitely get better. We'll get more efficient at it. We'll stop saying um. We'll have less awkward (laughs) pauses. This is also only the second time that the three of us have seen each other after digitally knowing each other for a few years, so that was kind of cool, too. Uh, we'll keep these coming fairly regularly I can't promise a specific schedule at this point in time but um, uh, look to the site we're going to have the uh, UVA match preview up this week Uh, we'll keep hitting those transfer rumors I think the women are coming back to play in the first week of October so plenty of good stuff coming up yeah yeah, this was it guys first episode of what we're calling across the Romaverse thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time bye